Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, the Friday, June 9th, 2023 edition here on the program. Uh, we've got a fun jam-packed show for you guys today we got go big orange friday with ryan shepherd of rocky top insider and saturday down south ethan stone good to have the gang back together to talk all things tennessee volunteers rough week for tennessee recruiting on the football front um, we talk about uh, where they really need to uh, win some key battles to kind of salvage where they're at um, in recruiting for this cycle because it's all about the summer now with recruiting. It's not about the fall, winter. It's uh, it's about the summer. So big, big summer ahead now for Tennessee's 2024 recruiting class. Uh, we also talk about uh, Josiah Jordan James being back for Tennessee. Are they a top five team in the basketball front going into next year? We talk about um, Olivia Kamwa ending up at uh, Michigan, uh, surprisingly enough. And then uh, Tennessee, how they ended up having to go to Hattiesburg this weekend for their super regional matchup against Southern Miss and what to expect in that one uh, for Tennessee as they look to get back to the College World Series uh, this season. So fun time this weekend in Knoxville because that game kicks off in about like, I don't know, a couple, uh, I should say a couple, it's like six hours, seven hours from now. So exciting time here on rocky top per usual here at everything school hq uh, always something going on with tennessee athletics on the positive front um also we got a first timer head football coach at delaware yeah at delaware the blue hens ryan cardi uh was kind enough to come on the program to talk about uh his football program um year one at delaware uh what it was like beating navy <clears throat> Uh, how playing quarterback uh, years ago at uh, Delaware helped him uh, get ready to be an offensive coordinator, offensive mind, and then head coach um, where the team is deeper, stronger than they were a year ago, uh, growing up in a family of coaches and how that works and helps things for him. Um, and then Chip Kelly, uh, some uh, – <laughs> accidental advice that uh stuck with ryan and um helped him as a coach all across the board so awesome time being able to talk with coach cardi about his fcs power the delaware blue hens so i think you'll love that so a lot of college 
football college sport tier on this Friday edition of the program. Don't forget, folks, you can watch this very show, youtube.com slash Chase Thomas Podcast. Like and subscribe. Full episodes, shorts, clips, all the good stuff. So make sure you check us out if you are uh, interested in the video front. You can also uh, help the show in one easy, quick way. Uh, you could hit that pause button. If you're not already subscribed, go ahead and hit that subscribe button on your preferred podcast player uh, so you never miss an episode. And then if you're already a subscriber and a loyal daily listener here to this National Daily Sports Podcast out of East Tennessee, then uh, first of all, thank you. But also make sure you uh, leave this show a five-star rating and write a review. Tell uh, why you like the show and help other people find the show because you like it as well. So all that good stuff helps the show continue to grow and all that. So as always, you can email me at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com. Sign up for our newsletter uh, at sportsrenaissanceman.subsec.com. So make sure you check that out as well if you have not already and i think that'll uh that'll just about do it um there you go friday edition chase thomas podcast coming up in just one second uncle darren let's go chase thomas podcast the chase thomas podcast <laughs> um my nephew needs me to record see i hate i already hate it all right I hello welcome back to go big orange friday is it back is ryan shepherd and ethan stone in the same place do i not have to just call Ryan Callahan, Austin Price, Brent Hubs, week over week, just, you know, the legend in this industry. I have to just go with the old heads where I'm just the youngest person on every call here. No, it's time to go back to my roots where I feel extremely old and I um, feel extremely ancient when I'm talking to either of them in any sort of fashion. Ryan Shumpert, Rocky Top Insider. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? Doing well. Coming to you live from the Starbucks uh, here in Fountain City. So yeah. hopefully the Wi-Fi holds up. Hopefully nothing too crazy happens. But uh, busy times with Tennessee going to Super Regional. There you go. Um, and we'll talk about that uh, where Ryan gets the, the the pleasure of doing a 14-hour round trip over the weekend um, to one of America's staples, Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Um, but, Ryan, and then there was, you're in Fountain City here. We can just go in because you won't be here after this is up. People aren't going to have to come in. This isn't a live show, so you'll be long gone. But there, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I said something to my wife. I don't know if you heard on the broadcast, but Tom Hart um, said something about Lytton's because I think he mentioned when they were talking about Cal Stark who went to Farragut. And somehow they were they they were like, I wonder if you went to Lytton's a lot. So Lytton's made a comment and I was like, this man, that's like a 45 minute drive from Farragut to Lytton's. Like it was he wants to mention Lytton's and I appreciate Tom Hart doing the local things. But it was such a stretch where I was like, only Knoxville folks are going to get how insane of a reference this is, where it's like Cal Stark is not making that drive growing up. Who's doing the Farragut drive to Lytton's? That's not a that's a that's a it's a long way. That's a very long way. And no, I did hear that he made a Linton's reference. As he, usually when he does, I get a text message about it. But I didn't know it was in context to, to Cal Stark, which, yeah. I mean, Tom Hart, which obviously makes sense because he makes a Linton's reference all the time. He lived in yeah. Knoxville. So he know he knows. Yeah. He knows that trek is, is not very doable. So he had to be uh, uh, just big time uh, looking, for the, looking for the content to talk about. I know. I didn't want to put him on blast, but I thought about it. And I thought about uh, <laughs> clipping it and just being like, that is, uh, I'm just going to go ahead why? and say Cal Stark was not riding to uh, to Litton's in Fountain City on a Thursday night. Uh, no. just, I have my doubts. Also here, Saturday Down South, South Carolina's own Ethan Stone in enemy territory in more ways than one, whether it's uh, Beamer Ball, whether it's Dabo Ball, 
the man is the man is gone. He is in another state entirely. <laughs> Ethan, how are you? Yeah, I really am in enemy territory here. There's so much Clemson Tigers stuff, whereas my entire mm. life I've had Vols stuff around. You'd be surprised how many Vols fans are here, though. I've run into a couple of them already. Okay. And you got to give, give them the old go Vols when you see them, of course. But there's some pretty decent – I'm normally about three hours away from Knoxville. But, yeah, getting moved in here. My cat is going to make an appearance. He's Here he comes. He's, he's there right you here. go. What's but, his name um, again? Oliver. Oliver. Good guy. But yeah, I uh, just getting moved in, getting all situated. We're finally getting pretty close to, to ready here. We got most of the, I'd, I'd say 80% of the house done. So, there you go. So we're, we're getting there. They don't call him tool man, Ethan Stone for nothing. Exactly. Um, I, uh, it's funny you said the good balls to strangers. Cause I've done, I'll probably never do it again because I did it to somebody at, when we were in Asheville a couple months ago. Um, we were doing a, a, a pretty good hike up uh, Black Mountain and there was a older man, older gentleman, in a Tennessee polo at the gift shop at where we were at. And I was like, hey, I did a go balls, and he looked at me and didn't say a word and just kept moving. And I was like, all right, F me then. Uh, my bad. I really <laughs> thought we were going to do a whole human connection thing there, but all right. Like, I was wearing a Tennessee, like, workout shirt, and he was in it. I was like, all right, cool. It was one of the coldest. I looked at my wife, and I was like, that was unbearable we have to leave now i gotta get out of here this is terrible it's not working for me anymore we gotta run because that was that was, that was, that was the last time i'll ever do it um so that's what you that's what you get when you let your heart run and that's also lyrics to another song uh ryan you texted me or you put in the group chat that i was an all-time i have some all-time hater energy over the last yeah. week i was on a heater <laughs> you are up I've been fired up all week, whether it's Tennessee having to go to Hattiesburg, whether it's Cam Fountain ending up at USC, whether it's Sammy Brown ending up at Clemson, Bryant Wesco landing in Clemson, uh, Boo Carter maybe landing in Michigan sooner rather than later. Um, Brian, talk me off the ledge. Is the sky not falling? Is it not been Dan Mullen all along here in Knoxville, Tennessee? Did I... Go to bat for Josh Heupel on the recruiting trail too much. And now we're on the verge of multiple number 12 recruiting classes over and over again, where Butch is out here getting top five classes early on in his tenure, at least. Is that where we're at, where I'm just going to have to be okay with 12 and being in the lead for the Francis Maui Goas of the world, the Boo Carters of the world, the JJ Harrells of the world, every single year until it just falls back down to reality and they're at number 12 once again and it's like why are we doing this why am i doing this to myself why am i thinking about a world where williams winary cam fountain cam franklin boo carter jj harrell mike matthews are all going to join up with nico iamaliava to join a super team why am i doing that to myself ryan Chumpert? why um okay so you said one thing that was right that you did jump the gun on the josh heifel recruiting stuff you're <laughs> You're just a, a prototypical, going back from my days covering baseball at VolQuest, you're just a prototypical general quarters poster. <laughs> I mean, you with I mean, you were so up and down with the recruiting stuff. It's you are, we're gonna get all of them or we're not gonna get any of them. Yes. And the truth <laughs> is always somewhere in the middle. And and this is you talk about hater energy. This is big time hater energy for me because I didn't even watch the video. But I you you and Matt on your podcast this week and you tweeted out the clip. It was some extent, will Georgia's linebacker room be fine without Sandy Brown? 
and I'm like, and this might have been what y'all said. So again, I, I didn't listen mm. to it. This is pretty uninformed. Yeah, George. I mean, what are we talking about here? Yeah, George's linebackers room is going to be fine without Sammy Brown. From the Tennessee <laughs> side of things, Tennessee was never getting Sammy Brown. Him going to Clemson is a huge win for Tennessee. He's not in Georgia. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you're right. It's been a tough week for Tennessee football recruiting. But that's the deal. I mean, this is June and July is January and February of old days. There's going to be a million twists and turns. Uh, it's incredible to me that you're already punning on Boo Carter before his official visit. Again, this is you riding the wave. I'm out. He's gone. He's, yeah, he's playing wide receiver at Michigan. He's been talked into it. He's not going to play DB at Tennessee. Sky's falling. I'm out. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I don't want to say that it hasn't been a bad week for Tennessee in the recruiting trail because it has been, but there's going to be, I think, a lot of twists and turns in the next month and a half. I think Mike Matthews not committing to Clemson this week is a huge win. I think Tennessee is still, my non-expert opinion, the, the favorite to land him, so – uh, to me, Fountain was the one that was really tough. To me, a lot tougher than Harold, just because defense line such a premium position, and it felt like Tennessee was in the catbird seat there. But uh, I think Tennessee's going to be fine. I mean, they're you look at those two spots, and it's been bad this week. Receiver and defense line. I think they're in on a lot of top top guys. And you want to doubt Rodney Gardner? Go ahead. I'm not going to do it. He's been pulling top guys for 35 years in the Southeast. I, I think he'll get a couple more of this class. Okay, I feel better. Uh, Ethan Stone, where are you at? Are you in the middle? You're the even-keeled member of uh, this media conglomerate here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Ethan, Ethan, has it been as bad? Are you okay? Is the Saturday Down South group chat pretty mean in terms of what's <laughs> happening to Tennessee? Are they enjoying what's going on here? Specifically, they, Connor O'Gara, Chris Marler. Like who? <laughs> I, I'm sure Marler has loved this entire week. This this is going to play a hundred percent to what Ryan said. They're not saying anything at all, <laughs> which which okay. is a good thing for Tennessee. I mean, if 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 Tennessee was now like JJ Harrell flipping, it's not great, but but it, there's a reason for it. It's it's probably because Mike Matthews might be coming. It's probably because I don't know about right. I haven't I haven't followed the Tennessee football recruiting as closely as I used to in the past, but I know for certain that Mike Matthews has been, you know, kind of predicted to go to Tennessee. Ryan Wingo's in the in the in the I guess discussions for it. Amari Jefferson from Chattanooga, also considering Tennessee, just dropped to top six just a little bit ago. So there's still a lot of stuff to go. There's 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 a lot of time, I guess. So I wouldn't hit the panic button right now because of one bad week. And I would agree with Ryan, and I'd agree with you when I say when you guys say that it was not a great week for Tennessee. But that doesn't mean that it's it's gonna you know the sky's gonna be falling. Every top five, six, seven, ten you see, I mean, fifty percent of them that I'm writing about at SDS have Tennessee on. <laughs> I mean, everyone's everyone's at the very least considering, and you've got to. Huge recruiting weekend, I believe, on June 23rd coming up with a lot of guys coming too. So I, I wouldn't quite just because of one bad week, maybe a bad couple weeks, write off Tennessee completely because a guy's flipping here and there or a guy's picking somewhere else that Tennessee wasn't really even a top prospect for him anyway. So I, I, I mean, here in a month, if we're not getting Mike Matthews, those twists and turns, like Ryan's saying, if we're not getting the guys that we're supposed to be getting, that's when I'd start panicking. Williams and Winery, Mike Matthews, I need you to get you, you me name, you off name, the ledge. You could name a baseball team of guys that could still commit to Tennessee in, in the coming weeks. That's true. Well, guess what? Even the guys here are deflecting. We have Stanwich, Stanwich, out of here. Like I, I made the mistake of looking at his Instagram bio and his Instagram page. The dude looks like he was recreated out of Jordan Beck Laboratory. Like him to like he is a Jordan Beck clone. 
right? <laughs> Made me sad. And I'm just like, all right, let me back. Okay, 2024, they're number one recruiting there. All right, I'll, I'll talk myself <laughs> off that ledge. They're probably winning the College World Series anyway. So who, it's okay. You can't win literally every year. You can't, you can't, there's not enough spots. Everyone can't play here at, with Tony Vitello's bunch. Um, and look, Ryan, like when you, to be completely realistic here, who do they actually have to land of the remaining big targets to keep Tennessee fans over like the overwhelming Tennessee fan base happy with where this class might end up? Who are the the big ones that they have to at least land a couple of? Yeah, I would say, and I think you look at the two spots where they've been heavy on a bunch of guys. I think you got to land like two of Amari Jefferson, Ryan Wingo and Mike Matthews. And it, one, you know, at least one of Camarion Franklin and Williams Noweri, and I think it has to probably be kind of combining the two. I think you've got to get one of the five stars in in that boat. And and where I will agree with you, and we've talked about it on this program before, like I don't worry about receiver recruiting, I don't worry about defensive line recruiting, but the offensive line, like that's what I worry about. And to me, there's less top guys that are in on at that position, and it seems like there's a lot of traction to Daniel Calhoun in Georgia this week. Uh, obviously, the Anderson kid out in uh, Texas is rec- or visiting Tennessee this week. He's got connections to Oklahoma. Like those are guys Tennessee are in on, but maybe not in the catbird seat. And your backup options there, I think, are a lot worse than what you're going to have at receiver and defensive line. So while you're talking about the common fan, what's going to keep them off the ledge? I think it's probably more the defensive line and the receivers that I mentioned. But when I look at it, like, I just think they're going to be fine at those two spots. And I think they're going to get enough of those guys. I'm more worried and have my eyes more set on the offensive line just because that's an area that it, they haven't been great recruiting. And as good as Glenn Ellerby has been on on-field coach, I would say he's probably been the weak spot uh, of the staff on the recruiting trail. And, you know, are you, as you've said before on this podcast, Darnell, or Darnell Wright's gone. The five-star mm. inherited are gone. You've got to start bringing some of those guys in. And they really haven't done that to this point. They brought in some good guys, but they haven't recruited at an elite level. And there's some good prospects they're in on, but not enough uh, elite guys uh, to wear those other positions. You feel like you're just naturally going to get some, how the numbers work out. So that's kind of the spot that fans probably aren't paying quite as close attention to, but I'm going to have my eye on over the next six weeks. Yeah, you look at like Gage Ginther. Yeah, it's great. He might rise up to four star or whatever by the time the season ends. But it's like that's still a long term project. Like all these guys you look at and you're like, all right, I mean, maybe. But those guys, generally speaking, I don't think you're going to be able to turn all of these three star offensive tackle and inside linemen into premier SEC talents. Like there is still a reason like Darnell uh, played better with Ellerby than he did with Pruitt and he developed better under Glenn Ellerby, but like he still required, he had that five-star talent um, out of the gate here that was just, was just there. You, it was evident and you're able to work with that. Like Cooper's gone. I think there is actually another maze brother though. Isn't there, isn't there one more? Am I, mi- I think he's way younger. Okay. Like probably in middle school right now. If oh I, no! I <laughs> well, we got a ways to go um, until the yeah. next uh, the Maze brother comes up. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like when we talk about this year, like we still feel pretty okay by and large with where the line's going to be. It's not going to be devastating. I think the tackle spots might be um, potentially bad, but outside of that, next year, I mean, Campbell's gone. I don't think one. I mean, both tackle spots are probably going to be different. Bo, at least one right guard spot's different, and then the center's 
positions different. Like it's going to be a very different offensive line next year. And that's when you're like, okay, well, Ellie's had three years and they're going to have to dip a bunch in the portal again. Like I just don't see a way where they don't remake their offensive line in the portal. And I wonder if that's what they end up doing because they're not landing those bigger names is they're just going to have to swing big in the portal and utilize NIL in the portal with transfers. Like that's just where their transfers or their transfer targets line up year over year. It's just, they're not getting the high school for five stars. They're going to have to get them in the portal and bank on them uh, working out and being a plug and play option uh, in Knoxville. That's where it seems like we're headed on, on that front. Do you agree? Uh, yeah. In the immediate future, like talking about next year, I think you're absolutely right. And especially at tackle, I think you look and there's, again, I, I've said this on here before to me, and I don't want to undersell it, but to a lot of, in the recruiting process, guards a lot of time to me are kind of a diamond dozen. Like you can mm. find a lot of good interior offensive linemen, big, strong dudes. Jamata Spragans to me is the great example of that. Super, super low time recruits, low rated three star, and he's been great for Tennessee. He's got that nasty streak in him. He's a really good player. And, you know, they have some guys like that. Addison Nichols is obviously was a little bit of a bigger recruit, but a guy I think is going to be really good. Heck, might even end up starting for him this year at guard. Yeah. But definitely in two years is going to. So I think there they probably have enough in the interior to piece it together. But to your point, like it's hard to look at the young guys they have on this roster and be like, yeah, there's a ton of, there's a lot of offensive tackles you feel good about who can step into that. Doesn't mean no one will, no one will develop, but it does seem like they're probably going to have to, uh, it's trending towards that direction. Like you said, of having to pick up some guys out of the portal. And then Al Gablin, I'm curious to see he's, he's got like, like he was thrown to the fire with some of these guys. He was. He's going to have to start landing somebody. Like, you look at the tight end room going into next year. I mean, it's just Ethan Davis right now is all we're looking at here. So, what he has to do on the on their campaign trail, on the recruiting trail this year, and in the transfer portal over the next year is going to be huge. There is a lot of pressure on Alec Ablin to build depth and get some some big fish um, to replenish this tight end room. Definitely, and you know, one thing I would say with him that, and obviously, lost Riddell to. Uh, Georgia and LeBlanc, the kid down at Baylor to Ohio State, and you know, not to say those weren't tough losses, but I think it's easy to overlook. And I this could come back and backfire. He could decommit that I say this, but Jonathan Eccles, when Alex Golish left, all the buzz that I heard was that he was, you know, if he wasn't going to decommit, he was going to go on a bunch of visits, and that was very much an open recruitment. To this point, it seems like he's still relatively steady at Tennessee. Obviously, he's still committed, so that's one that Alec Ablin won't get any credit for because he didn't land them uh but if jonathan eccles ends up signing with tennessee i think alec ablin deserves a ton of credit for that and you're right they need to find a second or third guy to pair with them uh but don't overlook ablin's importance and if tennessee holds on to eccles and, and how pivotal he was to do that there we go uh ethan is tennessee a top five roster with josiah jordan james back do you feel comfortable with that preseason top five ranking i the this best is, shooter this is, on the team, by the way. This is such a tough question because I know Ryan and I disagree on this. But if you look at it from, I mean, once again, I'm I'm a kind of I look at things from a national perspective more than I do from a Tennessee or a simple roster perspective. If you look at this team from a national perspective and you don't think they're at the very least a top seven, I I've, I really looked into it. I, I think they're top five, if mm. at the very least top seven. I mean, they have. Everyone in their starting five is – well, their projected starting five is returners and Dalton Connect, which, you know, it's it's hard to put too much into transfers, but I think he's going to be a daggum good one. 
I, I think Connect is going to be really good. And Tennessee's roster just in general, it's just – it's returning veterans. It's good newcomers. It's good people from the transfer portal. Uh, and by good people from the transfer portal, I mean let them and Connect because they're probably the two that are actually going to do something in the court this year. But you've just got so many different avenues for Tennessee to be good that I think you can safe not safely – you can put them in that conversation and not be ridiculed for it. I think, I mean, Jeff Borzell agrees with me. Jeff Borzell has them as a top five team right now. And that's going to change because there's going to be people, you know, moving around a little bit. I, I feel like May 31st was kind of the deadline for a lot of that action. Sorry, my dog is going crazy. But, um, but like, for example, when Ryan and I were talking about it, Zach Eady in that time, Zach Eady has come back at Purdue. So, you know, Purdue, I'm, I'm not sure. People are people are championing Purdue as a top five team in the country. I personally don't see it. I, I, I just don't. It's just because Zach Eady is coming back. That's why people are going to say Purdue is that good. But, I mean, otherwise you got Kansas, Michigan State, and Duke that you can definitely put above Tennessee right now. Marquette, maybe. Um, Kentucky's potential not them right now because there's too many yeah, I would put them ahead of Tennessee yeah not right now but their potential to be maybe USC's potential to be maybe but you can't put them ahead of Tennessee right now like you can't say definitively that they're top five preseason teams Tennessee however because they have all these veterans because they have new guys coming in because they have solid pieces in the transfer portal their only real question to me is post but you got Tobe you got Jonas you got I mean, you know, that that's that's the question mark, isn't it? Is, is whether or not you have enough guys in the post, probably running Josiah at the four, that could get you to that top five level. Me personally, I think calling them top preseason top five is not a crazy thing at all. Now, if you look more at the roster and you say, is this a top five roster? Kind of like Ryan was arguing with me on uh, about a week ago on this. I would tend to agree with Ryan because you got a lot of questions. You got Zakai, who is not healthy yet, not 100%. I expect him to be healthy, but you know, you're starting point guard not healthy going into the season. That's not great. You got a lot of transfers that you have to rely on. You're going to have to rely on at least one of these freshmen between Estrella, Carr. I'm going to count Dillion as a, as a freshman because this is going to be his first season. You got to count on at least one of them to do something of, of any merit. And that's a lot of things to ask of a of a basketball team for a top five team. I I will I will definitely yield that. But if you look at their over to overall what they're returning, I, I definitely think they're a top five preseason team. What about you, Ryan? Have you after a week of thinking about Ethan just destroying us in the Twitter DMs? I, I, I don't even up. think I was like I understand. I don't, I'm not a hundred percent like you know, they are definitely <laughs> like, I wouldn't hate you for not saying it, but I, I, I you're fired I, up, man. You're, I'm you're fired not, up. like, you're, I do. you're ready I, to I go. I think they're going to be daggum good. I think a lot of people are underestimating. I think they're going to be really good. Punch the final four tickets. says Ethan Anyway, Stone, I'm going to shut up now. What about you, Ryan? Are you there? I think I'm not there. Uh, I think Ethan did a good job of explaining the difference of how we look at it, where to me, yeah, preseason, like, Sure. You just want to look at like the roster, what's proven. You know, there probably is a good case that they're top five. But preseason rankings in college basketball, hardest of any sport. Nobody hmm. besides Aaron Torres, who went to UConn, had UConn in their preseason top 25 last year. Not a soul. Not a soul had Kansas State close to threatening. It's just so hard with how these rosters change year in, year out to project things. So I look at it less of compared to everybody else and more, all right, what does Tennessee have pieces wise? And 
if you're asking me, do I think at some point next season will Tennessee be in the top five? We'll say even after November. So we take out the preseason element of it. I would probably say yes. I mean, they were last year. But when I look at has this team done enough to address their issues and be uh, they're going to be in top five from start to finish of the year, the vast majority of the season. I don't have that as a definitive yes. I don't think it's necessarily a no. I mean, I think Dalton Connect is a really talented guy and could be a star, but it's hard for me to say you're going from playing Northern Colorado. I couldn't even tell you what conference you were. That's in a bad Northern Colorado team. I'll add not a good Northern Colorado team. He's shooting as much as he wants. It's hard for me to say that that's going to be a easy transition, especially with Rick Barnes uh, kind of history at Tennessee with transfers. And a lot of, not many of them have panned out and, uh, even more than that, I think that's where the most of the talk will be. I think Freddie DeLeon is a big X factor just because his ability to score. But you look at it, and this is what I said last week. Santiago Vescovillo, I'm a huge fan of. I think he's a great player. is still the best scorer on Tennessee's team. And you could say Zakai Ziegler is a close second. Besides that, there's not really a close second. And that's Tennessee's issue, is score, finding consistent scoring game in, game out. And I just don't know. They have definitive answers to that. Dalton Connect could be that. I'm certainly super high on Jemai Meshack. I think he's capable of taking a step forward and probably not being a number one guy, but being a better number two or three than Tennessee had last year. And I think you could say the same thing, probably only with a walk offensively, that he could take a step and be a double-digit scorer. But you don't know. You're projecting guys taking jumps forward, which are certainly possible. And then you're looking at a guy like uh, Connect, or you're looking at a guy uh, like uh, Dillion, who hasn't proven it at this level. They're definitely really talented scorers. But what happens when you get in the heart of the season? What happens when Rick Barnes is on, on you about your defense not being good enough? Do you keep that confidence offensively? And are you able to push through and kind of become uh, – get into a groove offensively playing with the depth Tennessee's going to have? You know, these guys, it's no guarantee any of them are going to get 20 minutes a game. Can they get into a rhythm and become consistent offensive threats? That's what I don't really know about. I think this team's floor is really, really high, and that's where I'll give Rick Barnes and the staff a ton of credit for what they did this offseason. This is a team that I think will spend the entire year in the top 25. But when you're talking about top five team, team that is one of the best in the country, they could get there. I'm not saying they can't, but to me, there's still a lot of questions uh, to be answered. I just wonder who the, I mean, it's probably going to change throughout the year. And obviously when Zakai is ready and then injuries are always just a part of it. But I do wonder who will end up being the best five. I I wonder if there's going to be like, friend of the pod will warren and i i wonder if there's going to be like a disconnect between like clearly this is the best five for tennessee and what barnes is going to want to do for his best five i wonder if there's going to be a disconnect this season because there is a lot of potential for barnes going super big here and (laughs) relying on going super big and trusting that more than the versatility he might have with zakai dillion josiah jordan james dalton connect and uh jonas i do or something like that like I, i wonder what the best five and should be the closing five will end up being for Tennessee and if it will result in some hurt feelings. Cause I just, I wonder what Ledlam has been told coming into the process, because I don't see a way he should be on the court in important moments, late in games. Like if there is a point where it's like Adu and Ledlam, uh, I'm going to be upset. I'm going to be annoyed because you, if you want to start there, that's fine. Like you want to start games big and just brutalize people on the board. Like that's fine. But I just don't see a scenario where those two should be on the floor to close. Maybe Ledlow's the closing five and Adu gets his feelings hurt and he's not the closing five. I don't know. I'm just, I, I have my doubts and I'm pretty high on Adu coming in this year. I'm very curious because I think he actually could be a pretty solid wide open three pick and pop shooter. Like you see it in practice and like corner and top of the key three. I just, I think it can happen if he trusts it. Like he is someone 
Adu has the most upside of any of them to me and what he can do, but we'll see if he ends up being that closing five. I I don't know, Ethan, do you, do you agree with that? And what do you see the best five being? That Adu, the, the three, that's interesting. I mean, that that's more projecting like Ryan is talking about. That's more, you know, hoping he can get to that point where, I mean, there was a, there was a point where Olivier couldn't shoot either. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we'll get to Olivier. I'm, I'm sure, but well, there was a point where he couldn't he couldn't shoot beyond the arc either. He he developed that and he became mm-hmm. a legitimate threat at that. It's it's so difficult to project that kind of stuff because there's a couple guys that are question marks like that. You got Ledlam, who is mm-hmm. I, I agree with you, Chase. I don't know what Ledl- I don't know what Ledlam's going to do from here out. Especially, I'm assuming he assumed that James was not coming back. Right. It, I, I he's don't know. the one that gets the short end of the stick to make yeah. Josiah coming back. Like he's the one that. Yeah. Gotta be like, ah, this is a very tough break for a guy that had a lot of good good options. Yeah, yeah. and and I think Ledlam has the potential to be pretty decent. It's it's a jump from the Ivy League to the SEC, so that's always going to be something you have to take into account. I think he'll be like an eight, maybe on this team, maybe a maybe an eight or a nine on, on the team at, at best. Now with Josiah coming back, the other question mark for me is Estrella because. Hmm. You you talk about now. I don't think he's gonna be a like you know a, a big Grant Williams year one or anything like that by any means. I don't think he's gonna be dominant by any means uh, right off the bat. I do think, especially with depending on how Barnes wants to go about this, like you said, Chase, whether or not he wants to go traditional or whether or not he wants to run Josiah at the four and just keep going small. Estrella could be an interesting option to back up Adu just to see. I mean, if he's good, that's probably something they're going to run. They're going to run a lot of Adu, Estrella, and then, I don't know, maybe Tobe. It's it's difficult to say that because there's a million guys on this roster that can do a million different things. So it's kind of hard to project where all of them are going to go. I don't think he's incredibly important. I just think Estrella is someone going to be interested in. If he's really good, I think that is really, really good for Tennessee. If he's not really good, I don't think it's going to hurt him by any means. But, you know. As far as projected lineup, I mean, assuming Zakai is healthy, you get Zakai, Santi, probably Connect, Josiah, and Adu would be my guess for a starting five at the start of the season. Now, where are they going to go with that? I have no idea. There's a million different roster combinations that you can move on from there. Another question I have is, will, will Jordan Ganey see the court literally ever? <laughs> like, like literally I saw him on today. Is Did he you? ever going to see the court? That's that's very interesting to me because I don't know. I feel like he's he was an incredibly good shooter. The problem is he's at a smaller conference. He's a little undersized, and he doesn't really fit ahead of anybody. Like he's he's not going to play ahead of Viscovi. He's not going to play. I don't think he's going to play ahead of Dillion. Honestly, he's not going to go ahead of Zakai. Obviously, so where's he going to fit in as a rotational player? Um, with all the guys in front of him, is he going to play a Tyreek key role? Is he never going to see the court at all? I'm leaning more towards the latter that he's just never going to see the court at all. So it's, you have how many years guys. of eligibility does he have? Does he really need to this year or will he, I, I don't know. I mean, he has two know. years of eligibility. He could redshirt possibly too. Cause he hasn't yeah. redshirted yet. That, that would probably be the best move, honestly. Cause I don't see any way for him, especially if we're going to talk let him, uh, I, I don't see yeah. any way for him to see the court personally. Um, I wonder that, would, that, that projected yeah, five though that would be that would be mine. The Zakai Santi. Um, I'll say before the year or be, like before Zakai comes next. I don't think he's ready. Right, like opening night. I would be surprised if he's in the starting lineup uh, mm. opening night. I would probably guess it's Santi, Freddie, Meshack, Ledlam, um, Adu. 
Would you agree with that, Ryan, or do you think it's different? Um, I would say to start the year, Zakai is not if Zakai is not out there, I think it's Santi, Jamai, either Freddie or Josiah, and then I, I think they're gonna start the year, Tobey and Jonas starting. That's oh, just really? knowing would... Rick Barnes, like that just I think he's gonna start the year big. Now, yeah. if you want to talk about to me, what's like, what's the best case scenario for Tennessee's lineup? Like things pan out. What's Tennessee's starting lineup? To me, it's Sakai, it's Santi, it's Jamai, it's Connect, and it's Adu. And then you got Freddie coming off the benches that mm. scored. It can kind of spark some things. But what I would say with all of this, and maybe this won't be starting, but you talk about closing time. I think this goes back to what my concern and why I can't say this is a top five team yet. Is I just think until you see consistency with a lot of these guys when they have nine, I mean, Barnes is going to have nine or 10 guys to play and we know how he likes to use the bench as a motivator. Like I just think you're going to see the closing time lineup from December through February change a lot. And hmm. you're just not going to have, you don't have consistency from May Shack or you don't have consistency from any of the transfers or the big men. Like those guys don't take jumps forward. Like I just think you're going to see Barnes lean on the depth and lean on his ability to use the bench as a motivator and, use defense as kind of or being able to use the benches like the old guys hostage to playing really hard defense and until i see rick barnes prioritize offense at any point over defense that's just going to be my mindset of what i think he's going to do i hadn't really thought about that before that's that's a good i mean it's it's very similar to what he did this past season, really. I mean, having yeah. too many guys can definitely be a negative. I mean, because you're, you're not allowing guys to get into a groove moving into the more important parts of the season. I, I think Someone's going to really, get buried. Maybe yeah, two yeah. to three people are going to get buried. That's a really and, good point. 100%. But it's a good problem to have. Like, iron sharpens iron. Like, it's good to have this kind of depth where you're not just having, you're like, we're out of guys. Like, I, <laughs> we, don't, uh, we don't really have another option here. Like, there's going to be some good players who are buried on the bench when Tennessee gets rolling. And I'm just very curious to see who ends up being those guys. Um, Olivia Kamwa, though, ends up at Michigan. A lot of folks thought he was going to end up uh, overseas, if anywhere. Um, kind of surprising. Michigan, I don't think, is going to be very good next year. So it's probably – I don't know if that's better for him, that he's going to have more opportunities to do a lot more, um, kind of replacing that Hunter Dickinson role for the Wolverines. But – I don't know, Ethan. Do you do you like the fit for Olivier at Michigan, or do you think this is probably not going to go well um, in his final year of college basketball? Michigan was like spot number one for him, if if not overseas, at the very beginning of his recruitment, and then they kind of died off, and it was Baylor and West Virginia, and then Michigan out of nowhere, like a week ago. Mm. I, I guess he he had an official visit there or something. Michigan came out of nowhere and was back in contention, and then he was committed like the next day. So I think that has something more over to do with starting and playing time because I don't think at West Virginia and Baylor he was going to – I mean, he was probably going to come off the bench slash be the fifth guy that started on the floor. And it's – I mean, you're going to have a Michigan post-Hunter Dix- Dickinson, and you're going to have – I don't know everything about their roster, but I know they lost a lot and I know they're probably not going to be fantastic. Can't quote me on that because I just don't really know what they have around him. I haven't looked that much into Michigan lately, but I mean, it's if, if he can't get his original goal of going and I don't know, playing overseas or playing just a professional career in general, it's not a bad place for him because I mean, he's, he's run out of time in college. You want to start, you don't want to go back and do the same thing you would have done at Tennessee 
or take a step back from what you would have done at Tennessee. I mean, he was starting this past season, so you don't want to go to West Virginia and all of a sudden be, you know, the the sixth man at a, at a Big 12 school where the schedule is considerably harder than it is in the SEC. So uh, it's, it's a good place for him. Uh, as far as do I know that – as far as do I know if it's going to be a perfect fit for him or if he's going to light the world on fire or if he's going to falter out, I really couldn't tell you because I just don't know much about Michigan, Michigan's roster and, and what they're doing at the moment. Ryan, what do you think? What's your gut tell you? Does he ultimately work out at Michigan or no? My gut tells me he'll be at Michigan a lot like he was at Tennessee. Some really good mm-hmm. games, a lot of inconsistencies, uh, You know, never fully put it together. So that's my thought. Again, I don't have – the expert opinion on what his fits like at Michigan. But what I will say about the Olivier Kamwa transfer portal process, and I'm taking off, that's why I like coming on the podcast, I'm taking off my big J hat here. This is not inside information. This is what I, speculation, but past speculation, I think this is pretty well-informed speculation. Not Maybe not well-informed, but accurate. What he did really well, because the way, my understanding, I think Barnes said something like it in the press conference, is that when he entered the portal originally, the plan was to go play overseas, but his dad wanted him to enter the portal. And then he just laid low for about a month, laid low, went on, I guess, a couple visits, didn't make any decision, and he let everybody in the transfer portal, just about everybody, make their decision. And then he sat back there and waited, and he waited, and he waited, and teams got desperate. And I think he got a bag because of it to be frank to be frank with you i think he significantly increased again that's all speculation i think he significantly increases nil uh, opportunities by waiting and waiting for teams to, to get a little desperate or teams that needed pieces and were willing to spend a, a little over what his production probably will be um and i think you saw the perfect example of this was i guess i don't know all the days are running together with baseball but earlier this week after his michigan visit all the on three people and Trilly Donovan and Andrew Slater, all of the Twitter experts on college basketball recruiting. Olivier Kamwa's down to two schools, West Virginia and Baylor. A day later, Michigan's back in the hunt. A day later, he commits to Michigan. I'm no genius. I'm not a world-renowned educated person, but those feel like pretty easy dots to connect and a pretty darn good job by Olivier Kamwa and his family of playing the game and maximizing his potential. I uh, wish him nothing but the best, but I love that theory that he got the bag, and that it actually worked out because every the the general consensus is like you want to get in the boat, you want to make a commitment early before um, time runs out and spots are filled and everything else. But actually waiting um, for uh, a Caleb Love to not come through uh, Michigan and just kind of buying your time and seeing which big program, big blue blood, um, gets desperate enough, and you just kind of slide right in. So that if that is indeed what happened, good for him. Um, and it's it's hard to it's hard to get big good big men portal. Like, there just aren't that many yeah. of them. And Olivier was always good enough of a player that even if it didn't work out, and you know he people filled the roster and he wasn't going to be able to get a bag somewhere, like he was never going to get left off of having a power five option. And that's on top of the fact that he could have gone and played overseas. So uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. There you go. We'll wrap up with. The Tennessee Vols baseball team. Um, Ryan, you're uh, pretty plugged in here. When you saw that Tennessee was not hosting um, over the weekend uh, in the Super Regionals against the Southern Miss Golden Eagles, what was your immediate thought, and what can you what can you speak to when it comes to why Tennessee is not hosting? Yeah, so I mean, when the announcement came out Tuesday, I wasn't surprised. Uh, just from talking to some people around the program on Monday, 
there was not, you know, no, no one said there's no chance, but there was not a lot of optimism that they were going to host. They thought they were going to have to go on the road. So uh, that's kind of how I thought about it. I was obviously very depressed. Southern Mississippi in the middle of June, seven hours. I mean, it's an act of terrorism from the NCAA to do it to me. So uh, as to why, you know, I think there's really two things you can point to here. I think the first one, and, you know, they list their main parameters being like being able to host, having a stadium and hotel rooms and, and all both teams can do that. Mm. About a thousand more seats at Pete Taylor Field. I think they wanted the money of being able to sell 2,000, 3,000 more tickets over the course of three days. And I do think there was a little bit of politics that went into it as well, uh, where there's some connections on the selection committee to the Southern Miss program. And I'm going blank on their coach's name right now, but obviously he's in his last season. Uh, I don't necessarily think Tony Vitello is the, the most well-liked uh, guy across the college baseball spectrum. Real hot take from me there. Um, <laughs> but I think those sort of things that kind of went into it because when you look at resume, certainly there wasn't some massive divide between the two teams, but anything you look at, Tennessee had the better resume. I mean, every category besides wins when Southern Miss had, I think, four or five more wins playing in the Sun Belt. So uh, RPI, which has been the king for every decision they've made, shrink the schedule, more impressive regional win, more quality wins. Tennessee's got all of it. So I think it went to the money for being able to sell more tickets and then maybe a little bit of politics mixed in there as well. Yeah, I I don't like it, but I wonder, do you think it's something that Tennessee, it's going to end up being a positive, Ethan, that they have to go on the road, that they can play kind of ticked off because of what just happened and they thought they were going to be able to host and they look at it as they're, they are the better team by just about every metric that they are a better baseball team than Southern Miss at this point in time. Like, is that, can you spin it for a positive that it's actually good that Tennessee will not take Southern Miss lightly because they have to travel and they're going to just play ticked off all weekend? It can, it can be spun as a positive. It's, it's definitely not a positive. I mean, especially, you know, you, you'll want, I, I get what you're saying. It can definitely be spun as a positive. But, mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to play the, the black jerseys thing and uh, if you look good, you feel good thing. If you want to play the Tony can, can say you guys were disrespected and all that, even though Ryan's a hundred percent correct that it's just because of money. And that's, yeah, I mean, that's how the world spent. It, it's what keeps things going it is, mm-hmm. is money. It, everything, every single decision is going to be made by money. And I feel like that's, I mean, Tennessee versus Southern Miss, <laughs> anyone in their right mind, if they weren't even talking about baseball, would pick Tennessee in that in that aspect. Um, you can you can definitely spin it into a positive, though. I mean, Tennessee has played better on the road as of extremely late. They did not play well during the season on the road, but they went and they beat South Carolina on the road to end the season. They just outlasted a really tough regional in Clemson, which is obviously on the road. And, you know, uh, there's nothing showing that they're going to revert back to midseason balls and just all of a sudden be terrible. But then again, that's what you said last year against Notre, D- Notre Dame. <laughs> you think, I mean, ne- not necessarily the road balls, but just that they'll overlook them, I guess, is also a possibility that Southern Miss is the team that's not as difficult as Clemson. And, and for Tennessee to revert back to their midseason form would be very Tennessee. But I, I don't necessarily think it's it's a good or bad thing. I think there's ways that Tony Patello can can amp up his team to still be able to beat what is, by all metrics, as we've already discussed, an inferior team as of right now, as of how they're playing right now, especially Tennessee has played really good baseball. They just knocked off a team that won, I think, 17 in a row in, in Clemson. And, I mean, they were going to do it again, very likely, if Charlotte hadn't beaten them because they're, they're tired. And so Tennessee's playing great baseball right now. Uh, Southern Miss is also playing great baseball right now. But 
I don't necessarily think it being in Hattiesburg is going to be the impending doom for Tennessee, I guess, if that's your question. Three o'clock on Friday. I'm just going to be, well, I guess it'd be two o'clock local time. I'm going to be smashing two vitamin waters together, Stone Cold style, and just getting ready to go for this because I want to just throttle I, I got i was so annoyed and i told my wife i'm like i'm like sweating how annoyed that i'm not going to be able to go to a super regional at home this weekend like i am so annoyed that i need it to be embarrassing i want it to be full-on jordan beck flicking off the outfield as he's rounding the bases i want this to be the old time fu to the ncaa and unfortunately southern miss is going to have to take the beating here um for hosting in this regard ryan i just because I'm not a capital J journalist when it comes to Tennessee, I can do this. You can't, but in spirit, um, I, I, I hope that you, uh, you feel the same for having to make this 14 hour round trip over the weekend, because I just hope it's a bloodbath. I really do. I hope they just absolutely throttle Southern Miss in two games. Well, the, the thought of it being two games and only having to spend one night in Hattiesburg is an unbelievable win. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's honestly my prediction. Like I would, it's baseball, so I wouldn't be shocked if things go otherwise. But Tennessee is just playing really well right now, and everything they struggled with all last season, or not all last season, all this season, regular season, they did so well in the Clemson region. I mean, the defense was fantastic. There were games where they did not hit well early, and they stuck with it, and they were able to grind out some runs and stay in the game against Clemson. And then in the Charlotte game three, they didn't come out firing, but they stuck with it. And then the crazy one, you know, Tony Vitello pitching decisions it's, uh, has not gone Tennessee's way this season. And by goodness, with Chase Burns, I thought he made six different mistakes. He talked, he joked afterwards at his own dad. So the first thing he said to him was, boy, would I have managed that game differently. <laughs> but the decisions worked out. So all those things uh, that Tennessee struggled with seem to have gone well for them. And Southern Miss is certainly a good team. I don't want to say they're not, but I think Tennessee's more talented, I think. The depth and number of arms Tennessee's going to be able to throw at Southern Miss is going to be unlike anything they've seen all season. And you look at Tanner Hall, who's really the star of that Southern Miss team on the mound. He threw 151 pitches last weekend. I'm sure he'll be good. I'm sure he'll be able to, to throw a, you know, a good outing. But that's a lot to turn around and be really effective in that type of workload in the weekend and then go do it again the second weekend. Kevin Copps is the only guy I've ever seen do it. So maybe Tanner Hall has got that Kevin Copps in him. But – Against an SEC program, of all things, too. I mean, yeah. they've only played a couple Power 5 programs. Am I wrong? Yeah, no, that's correct. They they have dropped two out of three to Illinois in the regular season. They lost midweeks to Alabama and the Mississippi schools, and obviously they beat Auburn last week uh, in that regional. So uh, they haven't been fantastic there. I don't you know, buy too much into that just because those midweek games are kind of wonky with who you're pitching. Um, but, yeah, they haven't, been fan- haven't had a ton of experience there. Um, and then the other last thing I'd say, you know, they use about seven arms pretty heavily. Only two of those guys lefties, and they're kind of down the list. So, uh, obviously, Tennessee got the, the kitchen sink of lefties thrown at them last week at Clemson. They'll get a, a little bit easier t- task against right-handed pitching this weekend. There you go. Ethan Stone, what can the good folks check out from you and the team over at Saturday Down South this week? Yes, the Supers kick off. We'll have full coverage of all the uh, the big four, ACC, Pac-12, uh, Big Ten, and SEC. Those are the sites that we cover so any of those teams in the Supers will be covering them, also covering the uh, Women's College World Series, Florida State and Oklahoma. Florida State has no chance. <laughs> Oklahoma is generational, absolute juggernaut. Um, wish Tennessee could have gotten there. That would have been fun, but we've been covering that all weekend, and we'll continue to do, uh, uh, moving into the future. There you go. Ryan Shumpert, what about you and the team over at Rocky Top Insider this week? 
Yeah, so Jack Foster and I will be down at Hattiesburg, so we'll have tons of coverage from that. I have a feature story coming out uh, on Friday about Camden Sewell and you know some of the adversity he's gone through this year and, and just what he's meant to Tennessee's program. So uh, plenty of stuff on that, full steam baseball. Rick will be uh, back in Knoxville holding down the fort for any football or basketball news that comes up. So uh, as always, everything covered. And yeah, Ethan kind of let it in there, but shout out to Lady Vols, the softball. Fantastic season, uh, heck of a run. And like I said, wish I could have lasted a little bit longer, but as good as Oklahoma is, I don't I no. think it would have been pretty unlikely it ended uh, holding the trophy. No one's no one's beaten the Sooners, so third place is nothing to hang your head on. <laughs> no, not at all. You might say nobody's beating Oklahoma soon. Brian Champert, Ethan Stone. Thank you as always. And I'll talk to you all very soon. All right, we're back here on the Chase Noss Podcast, taping this with a first timer here. He is the head football coach for the Delaware Blue Hens, one of my favorite all-time college football uniforms. Like, it's just really hard to beat the Delaware Blue Hens look and logo and helmet and just all-around FCS field. Ryan Cardi is here. Ryan, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Uh, what have you had any time to get away this summer? Are you going on vacation? Have you what What do you do in Delaware? What's your your favorite like getaway type of deal? Um, well, that's a, that's a good question. Around here, the the Delaware beaches are um, are, are pretty northeast renowned for mm-hmm. sure. Um, I grew up in Jersey, so I I, I did uh, grow up with an affinity to the Jersey Shore as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that you know the East Coast up here is. Uh, this is the kind of time you want to uh, be spending on the the northeast coast. Um, mm. Gets a little colder as the as the year goes on, and um, you know in August it's pretty hot. So um, you know we get a chance to to get away a little bit here and there. Uh, June and July have become, you know, it's a little bit more of a breather months than mm. uh, the rest of the year. But they've kind of with the changing in college football and the landscape, pretty much doesn't stop anymore, which is is what it is. It's, it's not a complaint. It's just, you know, kind of where we live in now. And so, um, you know, we'll get, uh, my wife will divorce me if we don't go somewhere at some mm-hmm. point. And so we're, we'll plan that, uh, probably right before training camp starts, we'll, we'll have a chance where the, the student athletes are, you know, get a chance to go home. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and our assistant coaches have a, a decent summer. And so there'll be some time in there, uh, that we can steal, um, that I'll be forced to, to steal for ourselves. Um, how there about you? you? uh for me we just did Asheville. um we might actually be going up uh the coast uh flying into boston in a couple weeks and driving up because uh it's uh, my father-in-law is actually from maine so we might uh be doing that this uh this summer and driving up because i mean i've heard and i'm sure you're very well uh in tune with just the the beauty of just spring summer and fall up the up the coast and see a lot of cool spots so that's actually in the cards this summer that that sounds cool that sounds cool yeah. Um, and I think we're both like, I'm a naturally pretty fair skinned guy. You're naturally mm-hmm. fair skinned guy. Are you SPF 50? How, mm-hmm. how high do you go for summer I, football I, and summer beach yeah, stuff? In, in training camp, I'll be at least 30. Okay. Know, usually in that 30, 45, 50 range. Yeah. Um, I just honestly try to stay out of the sun too. Yeah. Um, the sun doesn't win, isn't it? One of the there's a great comedian bit who was just like uh, the 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 idea that you have to be macho about the sun, where you're like, I can take the sun, and it's, it's just the <laughs> sun, and you're like, you you think you can beat yeah. the sun? Is that what you think? What yeah. what are you doing? You're losing that battle every day of the week. Uh, it's not worth it. Um, coach, 
I want to first ask you, like, what is the biggest thing you learned about yourself as a head coach in year one at Delaware? That's a great question. I, I think I learned a decent amount of things about myself <laughs> as a head coach. Um, you know, I think there were there were certainly things. It wasn't something that I always really wanted to do. It wasn't like that was my end goal in football. I love coaching student athletes. I love getting the most out of people. Um, I really enjoy offensive football. I love calling mm. plays. And, and I think my initial goals in, in my career were to call plays. And I really, mm. you know, I got a chance to do it at a really high level and I enjoyed it. Um, and so it wasn't like I was looking for that next head coaching job. And so when I got this um, and went this direction, I was a little unsure of what, you know, my first steps were going to be and, and, you know, how good I was going to be at certain things. Um I think the thing I, I learned um, about the process and about the, the position and about myself in it um, is that the people I've worked with, uh, and I knew that I had worked for some great head coaches, but the people I had been around um, had prepared me for a lot of situations that I was about to step into that I didn't necessarily know specifically what those situations were going to be. But when they arose, I was glad that I had been uh, mentored by some really good football coaches and, and been around some really good people. Um, and I think the other thing that you know, I noticed is that, you know, as we, uh, as things happen, you know, as they're going to in any job, um, is being uh, able to rely on people that you've hired, I think hmm. is something that, you know, when coming up as even as a coordinator and you're, when you're managing people, there are more things that you can just do on your own and even say, ah, don't worry about it. I'll just take care of it because there's enough, there's enough hours in the day. Whereas if you're also, you're still doing that coordinator thing and now you're trying to be a head coach, there's, there's less hours in the day for that. Mm -hmm. And so you really have to rely on whether it be the offensive piece and you know, I have to rely on the people that I have hired to, to, to help me out there um, and or uh, delegating things in the support roles um, and, and really believing in the people that you've brought in the program and you brought them in for the right reasons. And so I think that that's something I've learned uh, certainly how to do faster here because of out of necessity, you know, really having to um, delegate and trust and believe that we've, we've got the right people and then grow and develop those, those people into those roles. If, if maybe they're not ready yet, you know, making sure that they are ready by the time the next problem arises. I like it. Um, the college football fan world all collectively were tuned in uh, for Delaware Navy this past year, Ryan. Like it, I will say my dad uh, is a retired Marine, a lot of Navy. I'm named after a Navy midshipman uh, from way back in the day. But it was one of those things where everyone's like, wait, oh, Delaware's going to do this. Delaware's going to do this. And we're all tuned in. What was it like beating Navy this year? And what was it, it like going in? Did you have a pretty good feel? Because I'd talk to a lot of coaches and it feels like by Thursday when you run through the tape and you really start seeing stuff you're like I feel like I have a pretty good feel for how this is going to go did you have a pretty good feel by Thursday Friday I did not I'm going to be mm. honest with you I um th that was one of those games in particular um not knowing what they were really going to be doing on a, on defense knowing that the cut block rules had changed on offense how much that was going to change what they did on huh. offense um and not knowing anything really about our team. Cause I, mm. again, we were first year coaches. And so, um, you know, we understood what they did in spring ball and we understood who they were in fall camp, but until you see them in live action, you don't know what, you know, those guys on the field are going to perform like and, and mm. what happens when the chips are down and, you know, how much are we, uh, you know, influencing them as coaches as we get going. And so I was very, uh, 
um, I would say still uh, unsure going into that game, what we were going to see from either side. Um, and uh, what I was most proud of was just how hard we played. I mean, mm-hmm. I, that was one of the, the one thing that came through in that game was that there was there was no back down, there was no give up, and um, you know, even when things weren't going right, you know, we we stayed together and we played really hard. And so um, it was pretty special to to have that, you know, be one of the the first things that I can point back to and say that was one of the first things that we did uh, in this program, and um, pretty special. There you go. Um, where is your team deeper and stronger than where they were a year ago? Um, I would say certainly in culture. You know, hmm. I, I know that, that that's something that, you know, it takes time sometimes, right, to build, um, you know, the foundations of that. And then, you know, in order for our student athletes to to build a culture from year to year, they have to disseminate that information. And so if, if it's just coaches talking at people and saying, this is who we want to be for a year, hmm. because nobody else was with us at the start of it. Um, now there's people who have been in the program with us, you know, for a, a year now. And, um, and obviously thanking those guys that have been uh, in our, uh, you know, that were in our program last year that are no, no longer with us, obviously thankful to them for starting it. Um, mm. And then we have to, you know, put it on, put the onus on the guys in the locker room right now to continue to help the newcomers out and understanding who we are. When you're in that locker room, you're a Delaware blue handed. What does that mean? You know, what are our core values? What are our standards and our, our goals? How do we uphold and bring those core values to life with our daily actions? Um, and then, you know, what do we play like? What is it like, you know, on the field with us? You know, how do we compete? Uh, and those are the things that I think that we did get deeper, um, you know, in. Um, and I think, you know, our, our biggest charge here, you know, coming in and, and always is going to be how do we continue to elevate the talent level uh, in the building? And how do we continue to elevate uh, bringing the bottom of our program up, right? Trying to have 100, we have 110 roster spots, trying to get 110 people that can play and help us play football games. And so I think, I do think we've gotten deeper. I think our depth has, is pretty good right now. And again, that's a, a one of those knock on woods. And it's also one of the FCS football is tough. You know, you're a couple injuries away sometimes with the amount of scholarship players you have on your roster, just based on equivalencies you know, from, from probably eating those words too. Mm. And so, um, you know, I do think, um, we've gotten faster and longer in the people that we've brought into the program, um, whether or not that translates because we had a ton of guys with experience, uh, guys that have played for years, um, uh, when we first showed up. And so, uh, I think we added to that, uh, and then we lost a lot of those guys that, that had experience. So, you know, I do think there's talent there and we've replaced it, whether or not we've replaced that, uh, that experience and that production, we'll find out, you know, in September and August 31st, we'll find out if that's going to translate. Um, and then I think positionally, I would say that the offensive line, uh, running back position on offense, um, and then I think the defensive line, uh, I think we got a little bit more depth there. Uh, I don't know that we have the, um, other than, than Chase McGowan, I don't know that we have the the star level power there right now, but I, I like to think that there will be there. I like it. Um, now that you have a year of tape, I know this like just helps with certain guys. I mean, like me being a Tennessee guy, like you have a year for Hypel now after that first year where you're like, this is what it looks like. It's fun. Like we're not just saying this is actually what it's going to look like if you play here. Now that yeah. you have a year of tape, um, from your offense at Delaware, how has that changed how you recruit offensive skill position players? Yeah, well, it does. And I think the, the, the good thing, <clears throat> and 
what probably got Heupel uh, to be able to recruit guys that first year also is what he's done in the past. You know, mm. it helped us to say that, look, this is who we are, you know, and I brought most of my offensive staff from Sam Houston here. And, mm. you know, this is who we are. This is who we've been. And one of my time in New Hampshire, my time at Sam Houston, we were always really good at, at this. And mm. uh, I think that does help because experience helps. Um, but then seeing it in action and being able to point at, you know, these are the guys who were in this offense and and set records. These were the guys mm. who were in this offense and got signed by NFL teams. I think those things are certainly, you know, when you can point to the proof, um, mm. it's a lot easier, you know, than than saying, hey, this is going to happen. And, and we believe in this because, um, you know, we believe in this because of the proof's there. And because the, the, you know, when the talent's in an offense like this or a defense like this, you know, we're going to be able to put you in positions to make those plays. And, you know, how many, you know, it's easier to recruit skilled players when you can say, you know, we had six players last year with more than 20 catches, you know, mm -hmm. and we got people the ball and we had the ability to obviously put them in space and then, you know, have the ability, obviously, after that to score, score points and win games. And I think that's the biggest thing in recruiting is even less than the, the scheme and, and the, the accolades is people want to play for winners. They want to be yeah. around winners. They want to be around championship level, you know, uh, play. They want to be around championships. And so, you know, how do you convince somebody to come? Well, you keep winning. And I know it's chicken and the egg, but, you know, if you, if you win games, you're going to be able to recruit good players. And if you have the support staff around you and the coaches, assistant coaches around there that are still communicating the same messages to the, to the student athletes and the prospective student athletes over the course of time, you know, it's going to only build and, and roll, you know, we can snowball into to being uh, as good as we want to be, which is the best team in FCS football. How did playing quarterback for the blue Hens set you up for success at Delaware now? Well, you know, playing's a loose word. Um, <laughs> I, uh, oh, you're playing. You're still a hey, practice counts. Every rep counts. Um, uh, I think, honestly, if we're being honest, that probably set me up for success more than actually playing did. You know, being mm. able to to deal with, um, you know, setbacks and, and um, you know, disappointments and competition. You know, there was never a day that I wasn't out there competing mm. um, for my life as a player, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think those things help. And then, you know, being able to to figure out ways that I thought I did well at competing and ways I didn't. Things I thought I did well as being a leader, you know, being being voted captain when I wasn't a starter was, it was a pretty cool experience. And I, I think there, and I tell our guys now, I think there were certain things that I didn't do well, you know, because of it, I didn't know it's a hard thing to do. And I probably could have done it better being a guy who wasn't on the field, but still tasked as being somebody who was supposed to help lead. And um, mm -hmm. I think there were uh, things that I learned from that, just like anything else, right. You, you almost learn from the things that don't go well a little bit more sometimes than the things you do uh, do well. And so, I think that that certainly has helped. Um, and then I, there's so many things that, and this is going to sound weird because it's probably not talked about in football podcasts much. There's a ton of things I learned as a business major here that have hmm. really helped me in my coaching career. Uh, in particular now, the more I, I had to start managing people and you know managing my time and using statistics and analytics and um, you know marketing and all that stuff that I learned in, in my time here as a student um, I think really, it really does, uh, you know, kind of translate into things that I'm going to have to deal with on a daily basis here as a, as a head coach. Cause you're, 
you know, kind of manager, you're kind of a CEO of, of this part of the athletic department. And, um, those things have translated. And so it's been interesting to, to see that as well. So not just the stuff on the field or off the field, and it's been, you know, the stuff down campus as well. That's really, uh, helped me in my time here. What is the biggest lesson Chip Kelly taught you? Coach Kell. And here, well, here's the thing I'm going to, um, have to say, so I never worked with coach Kell. Yeah. Um, and I think the big things that, um, I'll tell you a quick story because I mm. do remember this specifically happening is, uh, you know, we were playing at Delaware when I was at New uh-huh. Hampshire and I don't know if it was a, it was the playoffs. So it was probably December, maybe late November. And it must've been, uh, one of those times when coach Kell had a, you know, maybe there was a bye, you know, or in between a bowl game or something. And he flew in for the game. Uh-huh. Um, I was not the coordinator yet. I was, so Tim Cramsey was the offensive coordinator. Mm. It was probably like 20, 10, 11 in that range, mm. uh, 10, uh, based on who I'm thinking the quarterback was. And then, um, uh, you know, it was Delaware had this best defense ever. Uh, they were unstoppable. They just played quarters almost every play. And then they're mm. safe. We're just tracking us down. And it was, it was tough. And so I want to say the halftime score was, it wasn't great. Maybe seven, nothing. I mean, it was, we weren't moving the ball at all. Uh-huh. And, um, and we had been that year. <laughs> we were always yeah. pretty good on offense and we, we stopped and, you know, at halftime, I came back out and I saw Coach Kell on the sidelines. And I remember saying, uh, Coach, what do you see? Like anything you see, mm-hmm. that, you know, that could help us. <laughs> and uh, he said, you know, he's like, no, they're really good on defense. Huh? And I was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like, he said, hopefully, you know, you can throw the ball to T. Fox. He can make somebody miss and score a touchdown. And that was our one slot receiver who was one of our all-conference player, good player. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was thinking to myself, like the time, whenever this was, I mean, they, I think Oregon was the number one offensive mm-hmm. country at the time. And I'm, you know, he is known as the best offensive mind in the country. And I, and he is, cause I've talked ball with him. He's genius. Mm-hmm. And that was his thought. Well, hopefully one of your best players can just go out there and make a, <laughs> score a touchdown and I, And it mm-hmm. really kind of reframed a lot of the things that I already kind of knew. And I grew up learning from my father about, you know, space on a football field and putting people in, in advantageous situations and one-on-one matchups, but it really kind of, you know, poignantly put that, you know, matchup and good players and putting them in a position to be great players and make a difference in a game. It really put that in the forefront of my mind. And so, I don't know if that's something that he taught me intentionally, but just one comment that he made kind of reframed a lot of the things that, you know, I use when I became a coordinator and, and mm. kind of, you know, all things that I kind of believed in already. But the the fact that that was in that situation, something that, uh, you know, really, you know, that somebody that, that I really respected thought it, it kind of changed the way I thought about some things as well. That's funny because like I go to a lot of high school games and I'm just still into the high school. It's like the purest form of football. And um, I'll, I've sometimes because like I'm on the sidelines and just taking notes and seeing, okay, they're doing this, they're in base. Okay, they're 11 personnel. I'm like, okay, this guy, this guy. And I'm just taking notes. And <laughs> sometimes I'll be at the half or I'll walk by a coach I know and I'm like, oh, you're, you're screwed. Like they're tied in. Like they, they know because high school is just brutal now because high school, like it, they're still matchup heavy and like in college and NFL. But high school, it's like, hey, if this guy can get targeted 23 times because you literally don't have the linebacker to stay with this tight end, mm-hmm. we are going to throw it over his head over and over 
and over again. Why would we try and run anything else? We're not doing that. We don't need to do that. The whole point is to win games and mm-hmm. we we're going to do that. It's brutal. But like what you're talking about, where you're like your playmakers put in their hands. Sometimes you literally don't have an answer. There's nothing you can do. And I'll just go up oh, that <laughs> this one's over. I don't know what you're going to tell these kids in the half because like you don't have another linebacker who can stay with this tight end. It just isn't going to happen. Yep. Hope you can hang. You hope you can hang. Um, not Delaware, though. Um, you come from a family of coaches, and your dad, obviously, a coach. Your brother's coaching. You talked about like not necessarily being sure if you wanted to coach. It's more the coordinator aspect type of thing, and mm-hmm. calling plays being more your forte. Who is the most competitive of this bunch, and what's Thanksgiving and Christmas like? What Do you all just talk ball? Is there a rule from the wives and everything else where it's like we are not talking football all time uh, like all day long all night long how does that work in your household yeah my poor mother uh, (laughs) she grew up with us three boys only and my father Mm. and and everything eventually comes back to it right i mean like by the end of the conversation somebody's talking about football and it's not intentional even when there is actual intent to not talk about it it'll Mm -hmm. end up back y'all are at wicked on broadway and somehow you're like this is actually like uh, when they did this it's kind of like when my slot receiver does this and she's like no this can't happen how no there's no doubt um the most competitive honestly um it's probably me Um, really okay yeah um and maybe it's that i grew up as the the youngest and always was trying to to get their attention or um or my father's or who knows you know i'm sure Mm -hmm. that was part of it um I would say uh, my my uh, my middle brother uh, Sean also extremely competitive, but he's mm-hmm. tamed out in his older age. Okay, um, and uh, and I'm probably that guy that's still uh, wanting to turn everything into a competition. But um, I think are they all that- sending you notes during games or after? Are you getting like the Sunday morning text thread of like here's <laughs> no, what we saw? They're all coaches, so they yeah. know that that's not necessary. You know, okay. like, it'd be the it'd be the family members that weren't coaches that would tell me what they thought. You know, what interesting. I mean? And the I'm sure you love that. They know that th- this is not the time to be talking about. Mm-hmm. This. We're going to just sit here and say we support you. Because you know? <laughs> um, yeah. he knows they they all know there's enough people telling me what they think they, they should mm-hmm. be done. And so, um, no, it's it's great to have that support. That the the cool thing is that you know it's been a while since I've been this close to to those you know the, all my family. Really, mm-hmm. they're all about a couple of hours from us now. And so, my dad gets a chance to to spend a ton of time here and and, and come to practices and um be at every game and and my brothers when they're not playing get a chance to come down with with my nieces and nephews and uh and, and my sisters-in-law and it's really fun to, to to be back around this this area um and and yes they have to put up with us when we're when we're all talking ball because it just ends up getting that way luckily the uh the the in-laws all you know the, the three the three wives all get uh together and with my mom and they actually do uh get along so there you go. That's uh, it. That's imperative. Everybody else is talking in the other room. And so there you go. Uh, yeah. Final question. We'll wrap up here, coach. Um, Delaware, the food scene. What What is your go-to spot since being uh, back in Delaware this <laughs> oh, year? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so there's a few places. Uh, okay. Down on Main Street, we have, I mean, I want to say like 65, 70 places to eat on Main Street. Our Main Street is pretty impressive. Mm. Um there's a couple of good uh, smaller spots. We got a, a place called Roots that that does really good, you know, healthy bowls and that kind mm. of stuff. Um, the boys love El Diablo, which is a a, a burrito joint um, okay. down the road. If we're looking at like a higher end, uh, you know, spot for Italian, we got uh, Taverna and Cafe Gelato across the street from each other. Both doing pretty pretty awesome Italian. Um, 
uh, I would say, you know, if you're looking for, um, trust me, we're a food people around here. Mm -hmm. If you're looking for a good bagel, we got a place called the original hot bagels, which is outstanding. Okay. Um, and, uh, that sounds like a morning ritual for you. You, you yeah. lit up a little bit with the bagel. The bagel is good for you. Bagel people, people mm -hmm. in the Northeast, as you know. Um, yeah. And, uh, I, and then, you know, there's a, a, a place, uh, on campus called Klondike Kate's, which is actually a bar in the PM, but we, we do a lot of our recruiting meals there. It's kind of a staple at the one side of campus. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, um, you know, across the, across the way here, if you want a good sandwich or cheese steak, uh, you got to go to a place called Malin's Deli and it's, uh, they do okay. a great job with their, with their cheese steaks and, uh, the, the Philly area, food, the food, food scene that we get. So I'm sure I missed one or two, but trust me, we love our food here. Uh, the <laughs> University of Delaware football staff is, is very in tune with the food scene mm. on campus. Um, there you and, go. Uh, it's important. One of our staff meetings are, are based around what the next meal looks like. So. There you go. What's your guilty pleasure, food wise? Uh, food wise, I'm yeah. a. Uh, I do love, you know, chocolate. I'm a, okay. You know, if we're gonna go sweets, it's gonna be milk chocolate. Okay, I like it. Coffee? Yeah. Are you a coffee guy to get through the day yeah. or no? I I do drink coffee. Yeah. Okay. Not a crazy amount. A couple a day. Nothing black crazy. or are we putting cream, I'm almond milk? milk? What are we doing? Only black. I'm uh, See, you get it. You guy. get it, Coach. I'm, I'm an americano guy, and it's okay. just straight iced americanos all day. There you go. Now that's a northeastern thing. I, that's mm -hmm. too bitter for me. There's no way I'm doing that. I'm not doing yeah, ice like americanos. Really, There's really no strong. way. Really strong. Yeah, that's that's strong. But hey, we're all built different, coach, and you're built different <laughs> up there in Delaware. That's why you're the right guy for the Delaware you Blue. You gotta be right. You gotta be. You gotta be. Coach, thank you so much for the time. This has been a blast. Uh, good luck this summer, and uh, I'm excited to see what you guys got going on for year two here for Delaware football and. Uh, who knows? Maybe Joe Flacco finally retires at some point and he's your offensive analyst, quarterback analyst in a couple of years. Man. Who knows? He was here for a golf outing a couple of weeks ago and uh, fit right back in. There you go. That man, keep getting them checks, Joe Flacco. Hey, he's hanging around. He's doing the Brian Horror. He's just going to keep hanging around. You love it. Uh, coach, thank, thank you, you so much. Guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 